Let's bow for a word of prayer. Oh, loving Heavenly Father, we, we do want to trust you as our rock and our redeemer. We have no other firm ground beneath our feet but yours. So, Lord, we just pray, may we find the words of your Scripture penetrating our hearts, ministering to our souls, illuminating our minds, and pointing us to our Heavenly Father and to the Savior, the Lord Jesus, whom He sent into this world. O oh Lord, we pray, be with us now by the power of Your Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, please do take your, your seats and have uh, that passage, Psalm 19, open before you. I don't know if you've uh, ever seen on the internet uh, photographs where children try and recreate moments uh, from a past family photograph. Uh, from when they were children, perhaps if we have that, uh, that first one. So that, that might be the image that you, you, you see, and then the children have now grown up and they decide, well, we're going to try and recreate the moment, and let's see what the result is. So there's that one, and then the, the, the next one. And please note the, the, the time and effort to get the mouth just right uh, as well, and then the final one. And I'm particularly impressed at just the, the level of uh, research that went into trying to find exactly the right clothing that still fitted in order to, uh, to set that one up. Well, like the children in those photographs, those small, cute bundles of joy that we just gave thanks for will all too quickly grow up and become men and women. And although when you're raising a child, it feels as if it's a, it takes a long time and a lot of effort, there will be a time that comes to you and you look back and you think, my goodness me, where did the years go? It just went like that. Well, if you're a parent, you will want the very best for your child in life. And from this psalm, there are three things that I believe are essential for any human being to, to know, whether you're young or old, whether you're single or married. And it's these three things. To know that there is a God who made us and loved us. To know that there is a book to instruct and guide us. And to know that there is a Savior who died for us. So let's look at the first of those. To know that there is a God who made us and loves us. You know, the human body, when it's broken down into its different chemical compounds, has enough fat for seven bars of soap, enough iron for one medium-sized nail, enough sugar for seven cups of tea, enough lime to whitewash a chicken coop, enough phosphorus to tip 2,000 matches, enough magnesium for one dose of salts, and enough sulfur to rid one dog of fleas. Just look around at the person next to you and think, it's all there. It's all there, folks. It's just waiting to be tapped into in mind. But those are the basic chemicals that make up a human body. And to buy those chemicals today in a chemist shop would cost you probably about 10 pounds. 
And yet you and I pay far more in aftershave and makeup and lotions that we put on our body than our bodies are actually worth from a purely chemical point of view. But I'm sure that you would agree that a human being is far more than just our chemical composition. Indeed, the Bible makes it very clear that we're not just an assortment of random chemicals that suddenly got lucky. We, like this whole universe around us, were planned and designed by God. The psalmist declares here in these verses, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of His hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. In, in a way, the psalmist was viewing the heavens as being almost like a giant billboard advertising both day and night that there is a creator God who has made us and has provided us with a perfect environment to live in and to enjoy and to explore. The psalmist's conclusion is one echoed even today by millions of pe people, including a great many scientists who are Christians, who look at the observable evidence of our world around us, whether it be peering through a telescope into the night sky or looking through the microscope at the fine details of a cell. But they come to a conclusion that there is an intelligent designer who orchestrated and planned this finely tuned universe, including us. Take, for instance, Dr. Francis Collins, the director of the Human Genome Project, who led the successful exploration to map out the human DNA. In his book in 2006, entitled The Language of God, he said this, when you have for the first time in front of you this 3.1 billion letter instruction book that conveys all kinds of information and all kinds of mystery about humankind. You can't survey that, going through page after page without a sense of awe. I can't help but look at those pages and have a vague sense that this is a glimpse into the mind of God. His science is actually enhanced by his Christian faith as he marvels at God's handiwork. Yes, there is an intelligent being behind this universe. It's not the simply the interaction of purely random natural forces. You and I are living symphonies of atoms, molecules, and cells that all point to God's creative genius as a composer and conductor of that symphony. To the person who expresses, oh, if only God would prove to me that he exists, God would reply, why look, the evidence is all around you. I've put it there for you, day by day, night by night, from sunrise to sunset. Creation rings out its message that this finely tuned world has a creator. Now, God has created both the observable wonders in the darkness of outer space, as well as the wonders in the darkness of a mother's womb as a child grows. For God created human beings unique amongst any other living creature. 
we are by far the most superior intellectual creatures on the planet. We have a moral conscience determining right from wrong. And unique amongst all species, we have this capacity to worship God. No other creature possesses that quality to worship in this way. Man, mankind is a worshiping being. The question is, what are we worshiping? We were designed to worship the living God, but we have substituted so many other things, including ourselves, in His place. But the evidence out there and the evidence within our own hearts strongly cries out there is a Creator who we were designed to relate to. But the psalmist, who was King David, who wrote Psalm 19, also wrote another song which says this in Psalm 8. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars that you've set in place, what is mankind that you're mindful of them? Human beings that you care for them. You've made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. Back in 1977, NASA sent a spacecraft called Voyager to take pictures of our solar system. On the 14th of February, 1990, Voyager took one last picture of all the planets it had visited just prior to it leaving our solar system. Voyager, at this stage, was 3.7 billion miles from Earth. And what NASA got back was a famous picture called the pale blue dot. Now, we might have some lights down so you can see it a little bit better, but you might wonder what the pink and green bands are. They are rays from the sun from four billion miles away, reflecting off the Voyager spacecraft. But amazingly, suspended in a ray of that sunbeam was a small pale blue speck. That is our Earth. Are you able to dim the lights a little bit so you can see it a bit better? Oh, well, we can, well you can just about see it. But that's Earth. The astronomer Carl Sagan said this of this image. Look again at that dot. That's here. That's home. That's us. On it, everyone that you love, everyone you know, Everyone you have ever heard of, every human being who ever was, lived out their lives there. The aggregate of our joy and suffering, ideologies and economic doctrines, every hunter and forager, every hero and coward, every creator and destroyer of civilizations, every king and peasant, every young couple in love, every mother and father and hopeful child, every inventor and explorer, every teacher of morals and every corrupt politician, every superstar and every supreme leader, every saint and sinner in the history of our species lived there on that remote speck of dust suspended in a sunbeam. Yes, friends, our planet looks very small, 
a speck of dust from four billion miles away. And our lives, by comparison, can seem like a tiny little blip on the radar of human history. Oh yes, we are so very small. Ah, but we are not insignificant. For we are known and loved by majesty. The God who made this vast cosmos is interested in you. He has numbered the names of the stars in our universe, and yet he knows you by name too. Even to the numbering of the very hairs on your head, Jesus said. Now, why on earth would he, would he want you to know that little detail there? It's because you matter to him. You matter to him. That's what surprised the psalmist. And it's what, if I'm honest, it surprises sometimes us, doesn't it? You see, even though there are 8 billion human beings on this planet, we are not insignificant to him. For he is our loving heavenly father. Bill Cotton was my Bible college lecturer. He was raised in an orphanage. And he said that at night, we as children used to tell each other what our fathers were like. One would say, oh, my dad's a great racing driver. And of course, not to be outdone. Another would pipe up, oh, oh well, my dad was a famous film star, and so on. He said that the thought of having a great father somehow gave the boys a feeling of worth, a feeling of importance, a feeling of significance and value. But the truth is, he said, as we put our heads on our pillows at night, we all knew our fathers didn't think that much of us. Because if they did, we wouldn't be here in the orphanage. It wasn't until years later that Bill became a Christian. And he found that through faith in Jesus Christ, he had found the most important father of all, God himself. And in knowing God as his heavenly father, he found his true significance and worth. For this father had sent his son into the world to die for him. That's how much he valued and loved Bill and you. Friends, we all know the importance for children to have a sense of belonging and love within their family and amongst their friends. It's vital for their healthy development. Well, God needs to be a part of that. Our children need to know that they matter, not that they are just matter. And we matter to the most important being in the universe, God, our Heavenly Father, who says He will never leave us nor forsake us when we put our trust in Him. Every parent who has ever existed, including myself, will have failed to model love and patience kindness and stability and faithfulness in one way or another to our children. Every single one of us. 
But in all those areas, our Heavenly Father has excelled where our earthly fathers or parents have failed us. In God, we discover our origin, our identity, our meaning, our value, our purpose, and ultimately our intended destiny with Him. You see, creation is God's general revelation about Himself, but the, but the Bible is God's special revelation to us in His Word, and whereby we can actually get to know the God of the Bible, His plans and His purposes for our lives. And so secondly, and more briefly, there is a book to guide us and instruct us. The psalmist goes on to speak not only of the greatness of the Creator, but the greatness of God's wisdom contained in this book, the Word of God. And this is why every Christian parent is keen that their children grow up to hear and to know the Bible. A number of years ago, uh, we as a family went on a Christian conference. In fact, when I say a number of years ago, an awful long time ago. Uh, but uh, we went on this Christian conference, and we happened to be sharing a chalet with uh, another Christian mum called Claire and her little girl, Ella. James, who is our oldest son, was only four at the time. He's 23, and yes, he has given me permission to tell this story. I double-checked. But he was only four years old at the time, and Ella was five, and they were sharing a room together. And we all came in to read a Bible story and to pray with them. Claire wanted to see if Ella could remember the Bible verse which she'd been learning uh, in her class. So Claire said to Ella, Ella, Jesus said, I am, and Ella, quick as a flash, said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. James, our son, meanwhile, was listening to all this. And so Vicky, my wife, said to James, James, do you want to see if you know one too? And he nodded vigorously. Okay, James, Jesus said, I am... And James said, the king, of, the king of the swingers, the jungle VIP, I've reached the top and had to stop, and that's what's bothering me. Oh, ooby-doo. No, he didn't go into the, the whole song. It was a classic moment, however. I hasten to add that the distinction between Walt Disney's Jungle Book and the Word of God became a lot clearer that week for my son. But knowing God's Word is so important to a child's development, because I have to say that I have never once heard of people in a crisis in their life turning to the words of a Walt Disney cartoon for comfort in times of their grief, nor do they look to Mickey Mouse for inspiration and guidance when they need wisdom to live their lives by. However, millions of people do turn to this book, the Bible, and found it a great comfort and guidance to live, to live by as they look through its pages. It nourishes the soul as we learn more about God who inspired each word on its page. This book is a compass to steer by. It is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. 
That's why the psalmist goes on to say this. Look down at it. The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The decrees of the Lord are firm, and all of them are righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. By them your servant is warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. Do you see what value the psalmist places on the Word of God? This, is, this book is food for your soul. You won't find that food anywhere else. It is God's wisdom. It is God's help. It is God's guidance. It is God's comfort. Because any, unlike any other book you will read, this book contains the living words of a living God. It isn't a novel like War and Peace. This is a speaking book which doesn't just inform our lives, it transforms our lives. And when you read it, you feel as though it penetrates your heart. Indeed, that's perhaps why so many people put it down and never read it, precisely because it does challenge us in a way that no other book will. But you sense it speaking to you, sometimes in a challenging and a correcting way, but other times as a tender arm of loving care around us from our Heavenly Father, consoling us, steering us away from danger, all because the author is with you in the room as you read it. But it's also a practical book for life, full of wisdom to live by. You know, a former member of our church uh, once ran a business consultancy, consultancy training program where he would teach leaders from uh, top-level corporations in, on business management and how to treat their staff and how to handle conflict and things like that. Well, at the end of his course, he sometimes has people ask, hey, that material was great. Where did you get your kind of ideas from? And it's only then that he pulls out a Bible from his, his briefcase and says, do you know this? Every principle I have ever taught came from first from this book. That's how wise it is. You see, people don't realize just how wise uh, the Word of God is for their everyday lives. So societies in the, throughout the world would be utterly transformed if it lived by the principles found in the teaching of Jesus and God's commandments. Marriages could be saved, and greater stability could be found within homes if people lived by the teaching found in this book. Friends, I have sometimes sat with people in hospital who are seriously sick or in some cases dying, and found that the world has very little to say in those moments. But this book still speaks into the darkest of situations. It still remains a beacon of light in the times of bleakness. 
as the philosopher Immanuel Kant conceded when he said this, a single line in the Bible has consoled me more than all the books I have ever read. And, it is that, and that is the reason why every parent hopes that they can live long enough to pass on its wisdom to their children. For we know that if our children take this book seriously, the Lord will guard them from making a great many mistakes in their life and offer a way out for when they do. For the psalmist himself recognized that there would be times when even he too would fail God through his own foolishness or deliberate rebellion, that he would need God's forgiveness. And that leads me on to the last point. There is a Savior who died for us. Look at the Scriptures. Who can discern their own errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then I will be blameless, innocent of great transgression. May the words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, Lord my rock and my redeemer. The psalmist asks the question, who can discern his errors? Forgive my hidden faults. You know, we often magnify, put a magnifying glass to the faults of other people. And yet we have blind spots when it comes to our own faults and failures. Many years ago, I read in the Sunday Telegraph an interview with the actress Joan Collins. And she said this, I have never done anything bad to anyone. And that's one of the things I'm very proud of. I've never hurt anybody. I've never been vicious about anybody. I've never tricked anyone. On the contrary, I can say that many people have done it to me. Men, husbands, business associates, lawyers, the list is endless. I basically think that when I meet my maker, there won't be anything I've done that I need to be ashamed of. Nothing. End of quote. Well, unlike Joan Collins, the psalmist was at least aware that he wasn't perfect that he had failed God and others, both knowingly and unknowingly. And that is why he asked God to forgive even his hidden faults and to provide him with the strength and the knowledge to keep him from willful sins too, so that they might not rule over him. Friends, forgiveness from his guilt and shame and the power to break free from hidden and habitual sins is what the psalmist is after. And God has provided a way for this prayer to be answered because the ultimate answer is found in Jesus Christ who alone came into our world sent by a loving heavenly father to die on a cross bearing the punishment for our sins so that we might be forgiven. One psychiatrist said this, 80% of my patients could go home tomorrow if they knew that they could be forgiven, for they are racked by guilt. Friends, we cannot undo our past, 
but we can be forgiven it. If we come to God on His terms, through His Son, not trusting in an ounce of our own goodness or merit, but simply as a sinner kneeling before Christ, asking for mercy, asking for forgiveness, God will give it. Many years ago, I was involved in a mission, and I once heard of a young boy who came down the stairs, sat in front of the breakfast table in front of his mother. The night before, the boy had heard a gospel talk about Jesus dying for his sins, and if he would come to him, he would be forgiven. And he looked at his mother, and his mother retold the story, and he said this, a 10-year-old boy, Mom, it feels so good to be forgiven. It feels so good to be forgiven. Oh, friends, if a 10-year-old boy can say it feels so good to be forgiven and knows that he has things that he has done that has offended God and others, and needs God's mercy. What about somebody who is 20 or 30 or 40 or 60 or 80? Do we not recognize too that we need forgiveness, that we have made mistakes, that we ourselves need to be reconciled to God? Friends, as it says at the bottom of our psalm, we need a Redeemer. And God gave him Jesus. God gave his very best for our worst in order that we might be forgiven and enter that relationship with God. However long you have lived your life without reference to him, he is still the good shepherd who comes to seek and to save and to forgive all those who are lost and come to him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would apply this word. There is no accident that everyone in this room is here at this moment. You knew that since the dawn of time. You knew that there would be a word that might be so pertinent and in season for someone sat here this day because you love them. You've numbered the hairs on their head. You know them by name. You know what they've done, but you long for them to be put right with you. May it be so that even this day, a sinner finds the Savior. A sinner finds forgiveness. A sinner finds the embrace of a loving Heavenly Father.